0: My heart is not to dump a bunch of irrelevant information on you and have you scratching your head, wondering where, where, what, what's this about. Neither is it my aim to cut you to pieces. My heart is to allow God to do surgery on you to do the cutting away a circumcision of the heart and doing whatever is necessary to bring us and bring those sons to glory. And also, the other part is to equip the people of God, to equip you with tools to be able to fight, to equip you with the necessary weapons, the necessary tools, to live victorious, joyful, overcoming, loving Christian lives. That's the heart, and that's been quite a journey for me. And you've kind of heard most of it. I mean, you've—that's uh, what I've been harping on the last uh, few years, and uh, and uh, I'm going to continue harping on it. Especially this one that I'm doing that we're working on now. In last week's message, it was. Discipleship 101, getting a grip on wilderness, what it is about, where it fits in, what's wilderness to the Christian. Well, I'm going to stay on wilderness until the people of God are out of it, or at least seeing their way out of the wilderness. There's no point going on. Until we begin to experience personally The love, the joy, the peace. Until we sense that there's the humility, the surrender, the willingness to press forth into the promise with confidence, with zeal, and with devotion. Brothers and sisters, we need to do that. Because I have experienced firsthand that the Christian life is exciting. The Christian life is not a humdrum, ho hum chore. If it is, and the church, the church should be the number one tool to facilitate that life and to promote it and to develop it. That's the purpose of the church to bring those sons to glory. The purpose of the church is to make you into the person. That God intended you to be. And if church is boring, then we're missing out something. So the first part in this message of Discipleship 102 today is assessing our position. Assessing our position, where we are. And the first thing that has to be understood when we come to that is the cost of discipleship. Turn with me to, to Mark, to Mark chapter 8. I'll read a few verses here. And these verses are mirrored in Matthew and in Luke. Mark chapter 8, 34 to 37, that's our text here. On the cost of discipleship. And uh, we'll go into it a little bit here. And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We'll stop right there. Here Jesus gives us an incredible first phase of discipleship. The first phase is whoever will come after me and as you all know we've been uh, doing these slides here and I will continue putting them up so we just get a perfect perspective I have uh, four other slides to share with you here this morning that go part that go together with the message that the 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 whole thing about what Jesus says here is he's coming after me and if we notice according to Jesus, Verse in Matthew chapter 28, when he said, oh, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Then he says, Take thy yoke upon you and learn of me. Then he says, Come follow me. Come, come to me and come follow me. That's the, that's, that's the second stage here. I call it the third stage of Christianity. Where we choose to follow Jesus. And choosing to follow Jesus... Is what a believer ought to do at baptism. Because that's the commitment we make when we say to, when, when we make those commitments at baptism, we are choosing to follow Jesus into discipleship. We're we not only making a break with our past, we are making a covenant for my future. That's that and that's the point. Where we choose and there and, and, and he says deny himself and take up his cross. We've discussed this here too before, so I'll just go over it quickly. The cross, denying ourselves and the cross, is simply when my will crosses God's will. I yield my will. That's the learning, and that is the role of discipleship, and that doesn't happen overnight. That's a long journey. And so that's, that's, uh, and, and in Luke 14 it says, if you want to come after me, first sit down and count what it's going to cost. What will it cost? Discipleship, there's a price tag to it. And that is why the first place God takes us after conversion, after baptism, after we choose to follow Him, is into the wilderness. How many of you experienced that? You've only experienced a real battle in the flesh after you committed to Jesus. A real fight and a real warfare. And so that's this stage here. The first stage is formation, where, where Jesus invites you into, into the kingdom. Second stage is foundation, where you identify and where you belong. As is, is This stage two is belonging to Jesus. That's the foundation. What you receive, again, and finally in stage 3, that's where we're stopping today, is the framework, the counting the cost. This comes long before the others of making Jesus Lord and of suffering for Him and of loving each other and going and make disciples. This, this stage is the cost, the breaking, the training, and the development of our character. First phase, when we, when we choose to follow Jesus. You know This wilderness is where we get stripped and hung out to dry. I used to believe. You know, these verses here don't give me much hope. These verses actually just tell me, surrender, surrender, surrender. Submit, submit, submit. Death, death, death. And I used to think that was the Christian life. (sighs) That doesn't bring any joy there's no joy in that surrender, surrender, submit, submit, and, and, and yield and yield and yield and break and break and break. The reason we don't get it is because we're only being presented with this one here. It's all about breaking. The Christ, that's only half the story. The real story about the Christian life is the finding, the anointing, the power, the peace, the joy. The finding your life, losing your life so that we can find it and, re- and have a, a victorious Christian life. We want God to anoint us with those, with, uh, we, we want God to, to give us the power to, to overcome and to defeat evil. That takes, that takes a special anointing to do that. Loving the brotherhood, going and, and, and making other disciples. That, that takes anointing that only can happen if a child of God is first broken so that's why it's the first stage the key to discipleship there's three keys to discipleship I'm just gonna <coughs> put these up here for those of you who haven't seen them yet but uh, uh, it's there's six stages formation foundation framework that's the rough stuff the finish that's the fine stuff. The furnish, that's when you get equipped. That's when God equips you with the, with the power and the anointing. And then finally, the function. That's when you actually get to go and do what God first intended you to be and to be and to do. And so, there's three keys to effective discipleship. Just three. The first one is you must know whose you are. And we've covered that, so I'm not going into this. You must know you belong to Jesus. If there's any question in your mind, the next phase is not even worth going into. You must know whose you are before key two. You must know where you are. Touched on that last time. You must know your location. before you. You must have a reference point before you can move past, move on. You must know where you are. And that's what I'm talking about today. We want to, uh, the title of the message is assessing our position. We must know our position. And in order to know our position, we need to assess. We need to reflect. We need to discuss. And the final one, the, the key three, is you must know where you want to go. A Christian was never intended to live an aimless life. As the brother mentioned, he was going to bring us many, he wants to bring many sons to glory. We were never intended to live, to just live. We were intended to be more than conquerors to him who loved us. We are intended to bring that special glory to Jesus on this earth first as an individual then as a body. And like I've said here before, we will never make a good brother until we become a good son. We must work on being good sons. And that is what discipleship is all about. And so, whoops, I didn't want to show you that. God needs, with those three keys... God needs to accomplish just two objectives in our second phase in the wilderness journey. Two objectives. Number one, objective number one is to humble us. Our pride needs to be broken. We need to learn what it means to surrender. We need to learn what it means to yield to God. And that has to be exhibited in everyday life. And uh, that's why I want to show you the illustration of a horse. This picture depicts the Christian. When God captures us, when God captures us and we commit to the Lord, we are, our, our old man is dead. Our old man is dead. The new man comes forth. But there is still our flesh. As we've shown in illustrations. There's our flesh that we need to contend with. And that flesh is this wild horse. It is unyielded. It is unbroken. It is unchallenged. And when you can see, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. When we see a free person, a free horse running on on the plains. Strength. Beauty, charm, uh, and and this list could go on and on. The, all these amazing attributes. There's nothing. There's one of the most gracious and graceful uh, animals you can look at is a horse. It inspires us, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. But brothers and sisters, we are that horse before we're broken, and we know <coughs> that. Before the training, the trainer can get his work done in us, he must break us. He brings that horse in, and the first thing he does, he makes him halter broke. That's, the, that's why Jesus says, Whoever comes to me must deny himself. Phase one. Not phase two, that's not the high part, that's the first part. That's why it is so painful. That's why it hurts so much, that wilderness journey. And we can identify with our fellow Israelites when they went through the wilderness. It was a painful, long journey. He wants to break our pride. He wants to break the idols of Egypt in our life. And he wants to break the strongholds that we have. That is the purpose. Uh, that's purpose number one. Purpose number two, He wants us. he wants to teach us trust. I'm going show it in this verse here. Two main objectives. Humble us, wants to teach us trust. Those two, to trust Him. And this is highlighted in this verse. We've read it before, and I'll read it again. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Number one, to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And in Deuteronomy 8, 3, And he humbled thee, and he suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. Second part, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, does man live. So God's had to spend 40 years to get Israel to, to reach two objectives with Israel. Two objectives. First to humble us, to break our pride, and then to teach us faith. To teach us to trust Him in every circumstance. He is a God who loves you. He doesn't want to harm you. He doesn't want to turn us into mincemeat. He wants us to fall on Him so that we might be broken. And the training in the spiritual disciplines can't even begin until those objectives are accomplished to some degree. Think of that athlete coming under a trainer. If that athlete still wants to do to train his own way or wants to teach the trainer, he is not going far. He will not make it. And so that brings a tremendous responsibility on church. It brings a tremendous responsibility on leadership. It brings a tremendous responsibility on every one of us to help us understand that God Is not playing hit and miss with us he's not we are where we are because in our in our personal walk I mean because God wills that we be there at this point don't let the enemy ever tell you anything else you are where you are because will God wills that you're there and he wills that you're there because he's taking you through a phase in your life and that life is to do two things humble you to, in that face to humble you and to teach you to trust him and so when we talk about pride we've talked much about it here so I'm just gonna skim over this pride is basically worship of self if you have you zero back on this Vice. And you and we compare Israelites' wilderness journey with ourselves, that's basically what it all boils down to. And because of that, because of worship of self, we have many idols erected in our lives. And because of that, there are many strongholds that need to be crushed. Idolatry, we don't have to talk about the ancient Egyptians or the ancient Romans or the or the pagans around Israel at the time. Modern man has many idols. And God takes us into the wilderness to break them. And the first idol he wants to break is the idol of self. Individualism, self dependence, self importance, self image. Reputation. Did you know that your reputation can be an idol? People can be so obsessed with their reputation they, can't, they hardly sleep. They want to maintain this image in front of people that they don't get to see who they really are. And they basically live such a miserable life trying to, trying to hold up to, uh, you know, they're in, inside here, we've got this churning sewage going round and round, and outside we want to show for ourselves as oh these beautiful. Loving people. That's basically the idol of self. Uh, influence. Uh, power. People in authority can become to come to a place of, of pure worship and of idolatry. They they see their position as a place. But we but in, in God's kingdom, that position is a position of servanthood. It's a position where we serve. Where the greatest becomes the servant, as Jesus said to his disciples. When we are competitive, especially to other Christians, when we are assertive, when we, when we play the, the blame game, that's the idol of self. Look at Israel. I'll show you the assessment here at the end of the, at the, end of the message. Then there's the idol of pleasure, I don't need to go into that one, you know what that is. The idol of pleasure, when, when God's people search for their, their, their satisfaction in something other than in God. They want to find their fulfillment. The idol of materialism, money is with all there and stuff. The idol of relationships, wife, children, family, friends, social connections can all come between us and between God. And there's also the idol of religion. We know that can be just as much a stronghold. Spiritual pride is just as ugly as Sakarni pride. And God has much to say about that. Much. He, you know, the whole idea of the Christian journey from point A to point Z is to make us like Christ, to turn us into His image. And that involves a long journey. And when they are, when these, these are there, we, we were held back. The second part is unbelief. That's the, that's the second part where he wants to break our unbelief. Hebrews chapter three, <coughs> verses seven to fourteen, is a beautiful passage that we we can um, we can use to Hebrews chapter three. That's the bondage of unbelief. 7 to 14. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, so that I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, he calls it an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ when we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. That's where fellowship, that's where his accountability comes in, where he says hold each other to a, where, where he, uh, absorb each other daily, lest we be hardened. So, the, so unbelief, that's the second part he wants to teach us. That's another reason he will keep us in the wilderness. And what is unbelief? Is that not believing in God? No. Uh, unbelief is fear. Is your life dominated by fear? Or mistrust, or suspicion? Are you a worry are, are you an anxious person, always anxious what will come tomorrow? Anxious what's going to happen in the world? Anxious about our, our, our government or, or what's going on? Are we anxious about uh, taking the government, wants to poison us, or, or uh, wants to. Uh, are we anxious and fearful and worried about that? are in bondage to to this, to unbelief and we need deliverance or otherwise we will rot in the wilderness. How about needing to be in control? You ever thought of that as being in bondage? Needing to be in control is a visible sign of unbelief. God wants to teach us trust well you might be thinking oh well not trust people though it's people I don't want to trust there's a responsibility we have towards each other that we cannot shirk you need to trust that God is in control and whatever and if we believe God's Word we must believe Romans 8.28. This worn out verse. Where it says. And we know. That all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them that are the called. According to his purposes. Now if you believe. That you believe this verse. Then we must Understand. That our circumstances, that the people that rob us the wrong way, that our co-workers, our managers, our leadership, our children, or our spouses, are what God is using to teach us to trust Him. Can we amend that? Phobias, isolation are all fear-related. There's people who have a phobia of a chocolate bar. By all means, don't live in chocolate bars, by all means, but you don't have to think you're going to die if you eat one. There's fear. There's fear about this and about that. That's that's all mistrust. We have to be intelligent. We have to understand that we need to feed our bodies good food, be healthy, live right. All that has to be done. But God doesn't want us to be sad sex, walking around always uh, thinking that uh, poverty, extreme poverty or extremely... Nothing, no enjoyment in life is, is, is Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's a despicable form of Christianity. The Christianity is a life of peace, joy, and rest in the Holy Ghost. That's what He wants from you and that's what He wants from me. Took me a long time to figure that out, by the way, by the way but that's the way it goes. Part of our journey. Unbelief is very closely associated with disobedience the the children of Israel did not enter the promised land because of unbelief but it also says disobedience unbelief what kept them from trusting God and choosing to follow Moses and believing what he told them there's another one I want to mention another 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 bondage and that's hoarding That's a bondage. And it's associated with fear. Self-pity, insecurity, blaming. Those are all bondages that keep us from trusting God. And until you understand that, we will stay in the wilderness. So, we want to discuss the tools we need tools to determine our position. And those assessments can sometimes be painful. If we've been getting close to the, to the, to the sore spots of the wilderness journey in the last few messages, today we will, I think we will touch the spots. Let's turn to Haggai first. Haggai one, two to nine. There's a beautiful verse here that. Um, I should have bookmarked it here. Because it's such a small book. Okay. Haggai, just one page in my Bible here. If you can't find it, it's after Zephaniah and before. Uh, Zechariah. It's just a one page in the Bible. And uh, here's, here's another key to this very, very important part of discipleship and growth. And that is assessing, considering where we are. Uh, we'll start at verse, uh, verse 2, I guess. Verse 2. Thus, speaketh the Lord of hosts saying, this people say the time is not come the time has not come that the houses Lord the Lord's house should be built in other words we're, we're, I'm not ready for discipleship I'm not ready for this kind of stuff yet then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying is it time for you O ye who dwell in your own sealed houses and this house lie waste. <coughs> now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts: Consider your ways, assess. You have sown much and bring in little. Now, let's talk about. Let's not talk physical, because uh, in spiritual here we could deceive ourselves. We sow much and we bring in much. We're going to talk spiritual here. You've sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, and are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. He that earns wages earns them and puts them into a bag with holes. <laughs> Thus says the Lord of hosts: Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house of God, and build the build house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is waste, and you run every man to his own house. He says twice, consider your ways. He says to His people, consider your ways. If in spiritual life we are not progressing, we read the Bible, we study His Word, we do this, we do that, and we try to, okay, maybe I'll tithe more, maybe I'll give more, maybe I'll do that. And yet we feel empty. Yet we feel defeated. Yet we feel like God is against us. Yet we feel like there's no joy in the Christian life. God says here, why? Consider your ways. So I want to help you consider your ways today. This next photo here. What's one thing that is common to every little item on this, on this, uh, on this page here? These are all instruments of measuring. And testing for diagnosis, and and you know we 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 have a society is full. Science has advanced because we have learned how to test and demonstrate. Did you know that? We've learned how to test and demonstrate, and 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 diagnose, and therefore improve, make better, make better, and make better. We test water. To determine hardness turbidity poisons in the water we test it and then what do we do okay we tested it well, good and then we apply the required treatment we measure tire pressure for information or what we measure we have engine diagnostic tools in the shop and the boys plug them in and Diagnose the engine to see what's going on efficiency is down. Check it out We've got GPS to pinpoint location And until GPS pinpoints your location. It's 100% useless We test children to determine placement and these all by the way are doctors instruments where the doctors diagnose The patients. And now let's not get caught up in the drug treatment. They diagnose and then they give us drugs. Uh, Yes they do. But don't forget they diagnose. They make accurate diagnosis of what our problems are. And they have a vast array of tools by which they do it. So these tools serve one purpose. And one purpose only, and that is to determine a course of action towards a specific goal. Let me repeat that. These tools serve one purpose and one purpose only. To determine a course of action towards a specific goal. Remember that. That is key to any assessment. So it's only right that we've developed similar tools for the most important journey of our lives christianity it's very important that we that we have sequence but it's also very important that we assess so what we may need to do when it comes to assessments is first of all exercise a little bit of humility in ourselves and uh, be honest with ourselves and with God so I've come up now believe me brothers and sisters this is my journey uh, I've diagnosed myself and of course you can di- you diagnose others too as you go there so what what this is is to help us pinpoint our location and I've put it in four different stages the first stage is signs that we haven't even entered the wilderness yet. Now, can it be possible that Christians haven't yet entered the wilderness? I believe very much so. I believe that there's a lack of teaching, a lack of understanding, and they are not, they didn't, they're not there. And so, here's six signs. I'm going to go over them quickly. You can process them throughout the week. No burning desire to live a godly or a sanctified life. No spiritual warfare going on in your life, existing on past salvation experiences. You've know, got a date, I got born again that, that day, I'm a child of God. There is a focus in your life on emotionalism, You're seeking experiences rather than God. Self-satisfied with what we know, with our doctrines and with our own righteousness. As a sign. But we we aren't even in the wilderness yet. Seeking enjoyment, pleasure and fulfillment in the worldly pursuits, in carnal worldly pursuits. As a sign. And finally, wanting to be fed rather than immersing ourselves in God's word. You haven't gone far in your Christian life If these are true of you. Okay, now there are six signs that we have entered the wilderness. Number one, we are being pulled away from the world. It doesn't excite us anymore. We have left Egypt. We are really across the Red Sea. The battle is intense. The journey is hard. Fighting in the flesh. And the desires are powerful. Is that true of you? And you've entered it. Now, these don't all necessarily mean we're in the wilderness. It could be one of them or it could be all of them. So don't get too hung up on this. This These are just signs. We run out of gas. The energy, the divine grace has dried up and we're drained. We feel like there's no strength in us. Our weaknesses and character flaws become glaringly obvious to us. That's a sign that we're in the wilderness. If we're still living in a state of denial of who we really are, we've got problems. And here's a very, here's a very important one that I discovered. Old unhealed wounds from our past resurface with a vengeance. And we think God has forsaken us. No. God wants wants to get that stuff out of us. He wants to break us free from our past. He wants to break... You see, Israel went out of Egypt in one day. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And the final one is, everything in your life seems to have gone crazy. You've lost control. And that is a sure sign. And you've crossed the Red Sea and if you think of the children of Israel which the next one shall show we can make X incredibly clear uh, parallels okay so the next one is six signs that we're still in the wilderness that, by the way I have lots of sixes, so don't believe don't think I'm too interested in 666 six, six or whatever it's just six signs we're still in the wilderness number one our character is still undeveloped. Pride and lust and unfaithfulness. And we can see that with Israel's many parables, many parallels. Where they lusted after, after meat. Then they lusted after, they said, What's wrong with this Moses? Let's go make a, a, a calf. Then they lusted after uh, onions and garlic, of all the things. Uh, and, and they were unfaithful to Moses. That, 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 so that character was, was still undeveloped. Arguing with God. That is a powerful one. That is one where I saw myself so many times. But only looking back. Arguing with God. Resisting circumstances or God-ordained authority. Like in the case of Korah. Like in the case of Miriam. In the wilderness, God brought out those bad things in them. And so there was... Always living with a resistance. As we read in, in Hebrews chapter 3 here, they resisted me in the wilderness. Were they resisting God? In essence, they were resisting Moses, but they were resisting a man sent by God. Running from our problems, blaming others for failure. So, another sign was still there. You know, they wanted to run, return back to Egypt did they? They wanted to run. The wilderness was too hard for them. So they wanted to run back into the wilderness. And one group even wanted to run ahead and go into the promised land when God said, nope, you blew it. You're staying here now. They blew it, but they said, nope, they made themselves a new set of leaders and wanted to cross over. And that turned into a disaster lives are still dominated by fear suspicion anxiety unbelief and worry that's that's the second part we're not trusting yet and therefore it's a clear sign we're still there fifth one reacting carnally to trying situation murmuring pouting anger resentment revenge israel's murmuring in, in the hard path those were a sign we're still there now you might think well It's hopeless. If we have to reach all that, believe me, that's the breaking part of the Christian life. That's why I've been saying that's the hardest phase of Christianity. The breaking part. But it doesn't need to be. You know why it's hard? Because we will not let go of our pride. We don't let it go. We hold on to whether it's a revelation, whether it's a whether it's a, it's a doctrine we have or whether it's a thinking or a mindset that it must be this way and we will hang on to it until we are dead. And God wants to break us free. And he wants to make us walk freely. The final one is the, old, the word of God is old and tasteless and not filling our void. The manna is bland. The manna is not filling me up. Those are the signs. Now this might sound pretty depressing. But you know what? It's not. That should be incredibly empowering. It tells us where we're at. And it gives us an incredible starting point what we need to do. We can pinpoint. Now that's just one of the assessments I've developed, by the way. There's another one. Which I'm doing with the young people, what goes and, and, and clearly puts out specific issues, what shows if our character has been surrendered, if we have humbled ourselves, or if we have been faithful, or if we've learned faithfulness. We've got three more assessments, but uh, we'll do that sometime, maybe as a group. Six signs we've completed the wilderness journey. Again, that's, that's been my personal experience. Of course, there's still lots to go after the wilderness. We know they're still giving Jesus lordship over areas of our life, And it's uh, learning to suffer for Him quietly, returning good for evil, loving the brothers. It doesn't mean we don't love the brothers now. It's just our love is, is, is not agape. It's phileas. It's still not real love. Okay, six signs we've completed the wilderness journey. Peace, joy, rest in God and His provision. No more arguments with God. Fully trusting He is in control. And that doesn't mean today. That means when you hit a bump in the road, you're going to trust that God is in control. That means if you have to actually suffer in the flesh, that means if a a loved one is, is in pain and suffering, that means if we're suffering, a sense of purpose and confidence and fulfillment in the christian life that's when they entered that's when they crossed the jordan and said and god said to them hey, you're gonna take this land that doesn't mean in the promised land there's no fighting there is but it's a totally different fight in the promised land they fought their enemies what did they fight in the wilderness their flesh Two different fights. And that equipped them to fight their enemies. A sense of purpose, confidence, and fulfillment in the Christian life. Meekness and humility is evident. Teachable, gentle, submissive, not looking down on others, not competitive, not argumentative. Strong desire to embrace the deeper life and to reach others for Jesus. Views and and the personality of the wilderness views circumstances, pain and pressure as divine appointments for good. This helps us put it into perspective. And this is not just not to knock anybody. This is to just help us see. Lord, and say with David, I'm saying this here in closing. I know this is what my message went over today, but uh, let's say this in closing here. Uh, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And say with David, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And if you know in what context David said this, it helps us to be honest with God when we say, Search me. And it helps us to see how foolish it is to continue to live in denial and continue to hide from God. Hiding our motives from other people is not hiding from God. And in Psalm 139, the psalmist first said half the chapter, he said, where shall I run from you? Shall I go into the uttermost parts of the sea? No, there you'll find me. Shall I dwell in the highest mountains? Can't hide from you. That's the mindset with which we ought to do our assessment. And that's the mindset David had when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. I know this is a lot of information, but God bless you.